You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Comedy podcast looking back at This Week in History. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. You can find us and or message us over on Facebook and Instagram using TWWWBLY. Back to Twibley, or this week was way better last year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, his friends don't dance, and if they don't dance, well, they're no friends of mine. It's Jeff McLarge-Huge. Hey, everybody. How you I'm, doing? I'm fine. Right. What's going on? Oh, man, not much. Yeah, I had the, I had the weirdest experience uh, just over the last weekend. Mm-hmm. I was hanging out with my son and his, his girlfriend, and we had watched uh, the old Ralph Bakshi movie, American Pop. Do you remember that I movie? I freaking love American Pop. Yeah, it's a good movie. It's, I need to buy that. Awesome. I need to buy that on on like Blu-ray or something because I I have it on VHS. That's how long I've had that movie. That movie's great. Well, if you can find one on Blu-ray, send it my way because I can't find them anywhere. Oh, no. I don't know that it's even out. Okay. It should get a Criterion release though. That's how good that movie yeah. is. You can find Wizards everywhere, which is another backstreet movie, but that movie right. sucks. And American Pop, which is great, is now. At any rate, as I was watching American Pop. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, American Pop is an animated film from 1982-83 uh, from a guy named Ralph Bakshi, and the process of animation that he uses is called rotoscoping. He's Bakshi crazy. <laughs> He's, that's right. He shoots live footage on film and then uses it as reference images and then uses those reference images to make the animated film based on the, the film cells, okay? Yeah. So I'm watching this film. So he's got to have live act- actors who do all these things whatever's in the movie. So I'm watching this movie and there's a character who has one line and he walks out and he delivers his one line. I'm like, I know who that guy yeah. is. Who was That's it? a character actor. That guy's name is Vincent Schiavelli. No, I don't know who that is. Who's that? So for those of you who don't know who that is, if you go back to watch like Better Off Dead, uh-huh. he's the math teacher that ends up asking out Beth. Oh, that um, guy. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, oh, that's him. He's got a very and- distinct look to that guy. He definitely does have a very distinct look. Yeah, he's and, a and science I was like, teacher in Fast Times of Ridgemont High. Right, exactly. I and, just switched and, to Seneca, so have a heart. Yeah. Yes, and exactly that guy. And I, I'm like, oh, my God, that's him. Yep. And went and checked the IMDb. I was right. Later in the film, there's a there's a scene where a, a, the main character is, is watching a guy recite poetry in like a beatnik club. Yes. And it's Richard Maul from Night Court and a bunch of B-movies. But it's Richard Maul. And I'm like, that's Richard Maul. Oh, really? This is before Night Court, before well, yeah. before he was famous for anything. And, and there he is reading Howl. He's doing Howl as a poem. Yeah, I think Richard and Maul up until that point was like his most famous role was that 3D movie with Molly Ringwald. No, he wasn't in that one. No. He was in the one that came out at the same time. I always get those two confused. Space Hunter, Adventures in the Forbidden Zone. That's, that's with Peter Coyote and Molly Ringwald. And then there's... Um, the other piece of crap with Richard. The other Mahler. one, which is the destruction of Jared Sin. I think no. we had this conversation. Yeah, no, we I can't we remember totally, the name we of it. Totally did, yeah. Uh, that Metal Storm. That's what it was called. Metal Storm: yeah. The Destruction of Jared Sin. My brother and I, for many, many years, until we finally learned the guy's name, Jeremy Piven. We just used to refer to him as that guy. It's like, yeah. oh, you know who's in that movie? That guy, because he was like. Right. 
that guy in a bunch of movies until he finally like got to Entourage, and then you're like, oh, his name is Jeremy Piven. Okay, all right. Oh, I, that, oh, he was that guy. I, I liked it better when I didn't know his name. Yeah. My son was like looking at me like I was insane. And I'm like, do you know who that is? And he's like, no. It's Richard Mall. He goes, that doesn't tell me anything. And I'm like, you're right. I was less confused before you told me who it was. Right, exactly, exactly. So that's a name I'm never going to have to remember again. Yep. It was really funny. And uh, to, to go through it and, and watch it and realize that like, the underlying technology by which this movie was made also enhanced the careers of people who went on to actually do stuff in front of the film cell. Yep. It was really one of those um, funny and eye-opening kind of things. That movie has the most anticlimactic ending. Like they they just choose that future worst song ever, uh, Bob Seger song. It's like, man, they could have picked something with a little bit more oomph to it than that song. Well, at the risk of alienating our audience who doesn't know the film, the end of the film, the character of Little Pete is a drug dealer in New York City. He goes to this band and he offers to sell them songs instead of drugs. And they say no. And he's like, well, I don't want to sell you any more drugs. And they say, fine, we'll listen to one song. And he hands out a bunch of sheet music for a song he wrote. And it's <laughs> Night Moves by Bob Seger, which doesn't fit his character or anything else that happened in the film at all. No, uh, that song is like an audio lip dick on prom night is what that is. It's definitely not a great song, but that's my favorite version of that song. Yeah. And the only place you can find it is in the film print of American Pop, because it's the one that starts out with no orchestration and just piano uh -huh. for the first verse. That's polishing a turd. But what that, well, <laughs> uh, hey, you know what? You polish what you got. I got something you can polish. Oh, good. A golf ball. Before we, yeah, before we get started with uh, the show proper, I have my award-winning and always very popular trivia question. And my trivia question for you is, how many dimples are there on a regulation golf ball? How many dimples are there on a regulation golf ball? I suppose if I said a lot, that wouldn't be a uh, yeah, specific a, enough answer too, for you. Too wide of a brush to paint with, a, yeah. A bunch? Yep. And if you can uh, tell, how about a crap load? Yeah, if they tell me what the dimples are there for, I'll give you a bonus uh, bonus point. Ooh, I might get the bonus point, but I don't think I'll get the number point. Right. I'll, I'll tell you at the end of the show. All right, but this is the week beginning November the fifteenth, and it is your turn to start, Mister Jeff McLodge. Huge, hit it! All right, November fifteenth, twenty thirteen. Sony uh, escalates the war of the consoles by releasing the PlayStation 4 and sells 1 million units on the very first day that it's on the shelves. Oh, unlike the PlayStation 5, where they sold like eight units on the first day because that's all they made. On yeah, <laughs> definitely the, the Packard slash Rolls Royce of consoles. I think they're all hand built by one guy in Japan. <laughs> I got a PlayStation 4. Absolutely. I, I still play it all the time. I still play it. I'm going to play it right after we get done recording. See that? I, I have one too, and I... I bought it because the PlayStation 3 that I was using, mm -hmm. that I had for many, many years, started having problems with stuff like YouTube and some of the other media programs that were on it. They wouldn't be updated anymore. So I was like, oh, I break down. I'll get a PlayStation 4. And I did so that I could use those applications without too much trouble. And I have a couple of games that I don't generally play much. My son plays it more than I do, mm -hmm. but we only have like three games. I am and have always been a video game-like person. I'm not one of those people that... I'm exceptionally good. You know, there's some people that are just like, they're gamers and they're like super good at every game that they play and stuff like that. No, I like playing video games to relax because I'm a workaholic. Yep. And if I don't sit down and play video games, I will work myself to death. Right. I, I don't like 
sitting around and doing nothing. And to me, sitting down and watching an entire movie by myself is doing nothing, and I don't like it. I have a hard time with movies. I, I'm definitely somebody who's, you know, at the old man yells at sky component of movies now. It's like, 95 minutes? <laughs> oh, you know? If it's over 89 minutes, I don't want to watch it. You know? Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> it sucks. Um, I don't have time for that. My bladder's not big enough. Um, I play video games now and then. The one that I've been playing most recently on the PS4, at least, is Bloodborne that my son got for me because he thought I would really like the story. Mm-hmm. But I can't beat the first training level boss and it's been four months and all that game does is make me angry so i don't play it i just get frustrated after like 20 tries of doing the same thing and i'm like why am i doing this you know this is stupid i could be watching an 89 minute movie (laughs) the Um, game that i'm playing these days was a was a free download earlier this year and i downloaded it but i never played it and now i just started playing it uh it's called days gone and i think you might like it because it's a zombie survival game but not only are there zombies that you have to fight, but there's also like other camps, rival camps of survivors. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're like, hey, this sounds like The Walking Dead. And it is like The Walking Dead, except for one like smart element that they added in. Bicycles. Well, a motorcycle. Yes. Transportation. You can get from place to place. You're not just walking around and waiting to get eaten. <laughs> I play a game like that already on, on Steam. I'm more of a PC gamer than I am a PlayStation gamer. Yeah. I, I play a game called DayZ, which is very much like that. Okay. And everybody in the other camps are other people like me, so they're all jerks. <laughs> uh, but before we jump off of November 15th, yes. we have a quote from our 2021 mascot of madness, former Vice President Dan Quayle. When, on November 15th of 1991, in a speech to the Christian Coalition, he said, And I quote, my friends, no matter how rough the road may be, we can and we will never, never surrender to what is right. (laughs) He then proceeded to spell potato with an E on the end and fell off the stage. (laughs) If there's something that you stand forth and really believe in, by all means, give up. Yes. (laughs) Right, exactly. You'll never be good at this if you can't do it in five seconds. All right, so moving on to the 16th, we have Unusual Holiday. November the 16th is Fast Food Day. Oh, that's the day of Wendy, our lady of drive-thru. Yes. (laughs) So, all right. Now, we've established many times that you're vegetarian. We get it, Jeff. Um, (laughs) Vegetarians plus filet fish Let's uh, jump in the Wayback Machine before vegetarianism was a thing for you. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. And and before heartburn, you know, (laughs) sleep-depriving heartburn was a thing for me. Uh, let's go in the Wayback Machine and let's talk about fast food. Where are you going? Where am I going for fast food? I, okay, so if we go by generation or decade in the 1980s, I'm going to McDonald's because in the 1980s at McDonald's, they had the cheddar onion burgers, which oh, were yeah. really good. And the cheese was like weird orange nacho cheese colored cheddar cheese that was full of salt. Probably contributed to my cardiac issues, but those were good. It was a less convincing version of Velveeta, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It was a cheese? That's how you have to say that? (laughs) And then if you go back to the 70s, it was Burger Chef. Do you remember Burger Chef down there by where the Dartmouth Mall is? And I used to go there with my mother and my grandmother. They always said that it was my place because Burger Chef's mascot was Burger Chef and his, his partner, Jeff. Yes. So that was your that was your place. I remember that. That was my place. Yep, I remember Burger Chef when I was a kid. My uh, thing, I guess, uh, is 
long been Taco Bell. They didn't have a Taco Bell like in my area. So I used to like drive like 20 miles to Fall River to go to their Taco Bell. And then they finally built one, you know, reasonably close. They built it there in I think like 92 or 93. Uh, and then somebody noticed, I'm like, dude, you eat there like all the time. I go, yeah, I go there pretty often. They go, you should keep track of how often you do, you go. <laughs> and I did. I kept track for the entire year of 1994. I kept track of how many times I went to Taco Bell. And it came out to an average of every other day. That's a lot of Taco Bell, Bill. I'm that surprised you're a, still alive. Yep, yep. Which probably leans into why I have mind-numbing heartburn now. Yeah. <laughs> No, the walls of my stomach are just nothing. They're like the, the Chinese rice paper walls. Is like, that's, you know, that, that's my stomach now, yeah. Well, I mean, there's something to be said for, like, the technology that makes fast food possible. The way that, the, like, the flavor profiles in the food work. Like, I still like, as an adult salt. even. <laughs> so There's a lot of salt in this stuff. Salt, salty salt. As an adult, I, you know, until I stopped eating meat, I would prefer to get, like, a Whopper because it mm. was bigger and more filling than anything else and uh i haven't been able to sort of do like the impossible burger stuff yeah yet i haven't crossed the rubicon on those yet yep but at some point i'm sure i'll be so hungry driving back and forth to visit my mom or something i'll be like that's it i want impossible burger and then i will have crossed that rubicon they're pretty convincing i'll give them that i, w yeah. I wouldn't call them impossible i call them highly unlikely <laughs> uh whenever i travel like whenever i go down south i always make sure i go to checkers checkers is like my my favorite fast food burger, mm -hmm. but they don't—they don't have any like this far up. I think the furthest north they are is like Maryland or something yeah, like that. Yeah, it's hard to get places. Well, I mean, if it's anything like Sonic, like I know there's a Sonic somewhere in Massachusetts where they must have to close from like October first until May <laughs> because if they've got people on roller skates running stuff back and forth to cars, it's hard to do that in the snow. You know, uh, Sonic, I'm frozen. Uh, but I haven't done much with the regional stuff. The one time I ate Sonic was when I was in Tennessee. So I, don't uh, I, can't, that I can't remember where I, I don't remember where I was the last time I had Sonic. I was out past the Midwest into into the Western states. I was out there somewhere. But moving on to the 17th, what do we got? November 17th, 1992, News Magazine Dateline NBC airs a demonstration to illustrate that General Motors trucks with the design of a side saddle gas tank, as they called it, were a consumer hazard. And that upon impact with another vehicle and hits the gas tank, these trucks will burst into flames. The demonstration that they show on TV <laughs> is rigged. And it's visible when they actually do the demonstration. You can see that they've like put a flare up underneath the tire well <laughs> to make the car burst into flames. And oh boy, did they get... One of the things General Motors has, aside from a ton of trucks, is a surprisingly large amount of lawyers in their legal team. <laughs> One for each truck, yeah. Boy, did they sue NBC a lot. There were a lot, a lot, a lot of suits out of this. And uh, NBC lost them all. So. <laughs> that reminds me of the old famous Disney snuff film. Yeah. The, they had the, the, the wilderness movie or whatever yep. it was. Yeah, where throwing the lemmings off the thing. Like the, they were showing the lemming. Here are the lemmings bodily throw themselves off of the cliff and into the water. You know, because there's this urban legend that lemmings commit suicide to control right. their numbers. But guess what? They don't. Yes, and, and what what they don't show you is that Walt Disney is right off camera just with a big smile on his face going, <laughs> and he's throwing all the lemmings over the cliff. Yeah, so yeah, they had these people like throwing lemmings off the cliff, like, hurling them off the cliff and into the water because they weren't jumping on their own. <laughs> right. And they had to get that shot. So yeah, they were like, hey, these trucks ain't blowing up. What gives? 
this doesn't work. Yep. So that was something else. And I, I remember that and the fallout from that. And it changed a lot of the way, especially that news magazines try to prevent things that are sensational because they learn the hard way in court when they lose and have to pay millions of dollars in restitution, that they really need to do their due diligence and not be entertainment when they're doing stuff like this. Maybe we should send a copy of this show to a couple of the news outlets. <laughs> that sounds very familiar to what we're living with in this day and age. It does. It definitely does. You know, the idea of like n- not trusting the news that you were watching didn't happen overnight. Yeah. You know, it, t- it takes time for the news to erode trust. And this is one of the ways that it did it. Right. And even though it did it on... Not the nightly news. It did it on a news magazine show. Yeah. It, the news magazine shows like Dateline NBC and 60 Minutes and stuff are were considered well-respected news programs with investigative journalism. So you don't go to watch those and expecting them to rig a custom or- deluxe pickup truck to blow up when it's hitting the side. Right. You know? <laughs> like, Geraldo Rivera, how do you still have a job? Right. All right. So, all right, moving on to the 18th. 1983 seasonal classic, A Christmas Story, opens in theaters. And I saw that opening weekend. Did you? I did. That movie didn't really actually do that well in the theaters. I don't know. But the uh, guy that directed it yep. also directed Porky's. And oh, Porky's 2 yep. the next day. Yep. Uh, Bob Clark, I think his name is. He wrote the script with Gene Shepard, who wrote the original short story. Uh-huh. One of them called you know, Life with My Old Man. I'm not sure if it was in Reader's Digest or where it appeared, but he adapted it into a Christmas story. I remember I laughed so hard at that movie mm-hmm. that I, could, I couldn't even eat popcorn. I was like in peals of laughter. <laughs> and it was, I wasn't expecting it to be anywhere near as funny as it was. The, uh, I'm just looking at it now. The book that it came from came out in 1966. It was a, like an anthology book, a book of short stories called In God We Trust, All Others Pay Cash. <laughs> So the cast of that, Ralphie, I can't think of the actor's name off the top of my head right Peter now. Peter Billingsley. Peter Billingsley is uh, is really good friends with Vince Vaughn, John Favreau, and he's actually been in a few movies with them. And I did not pick up on him until much later on. He's in the very first Iron Man movie. Mm-hmm. He's one of the scientists. And then later on, he's in Spider-Man... Far from home, whenever Mysterio unmasks himself to all the different scientists, that's yeah, that's Ralphie. Oh wow, that's yeah. cool. He was he used to produce the um the Vince Vaughn John Favreau show where they sat around and ate. It was like I can't remember what it was called, like Vince Vaughn's dinner or some something. It was like on A and E. Okay, and it was like a chat show. Yeah. So we had guests on, and they would sit there and like eat and drink and smoke cigarettes for half an hour and talk about the industry. And Peter Billingsley was the was the producer and director of all those episodes. I remember they brought him out at the end of the first season. They're like, hey, it's Peter Billingsley. Remember him? He was in the, you know. And that was a show that I used to watch every week. It was like 1999 or something. Yep. That movie uh, still runs. I, I think it's probably on right now. Uh, oh, yeah. They play it every Christmas, I think, on TNT there for 24 hours straight, right? Rock yeah. around the clock. I remember going over my uh, my girlfriend's house for Christmas, and she had to work with her parents and you know do all the uh, fixing the meal up and all that. And I just sat down in front of the TV and I watched Christmas Story two and a half times. And if for those of you out there who are like I've never watched that movie because I hate Christmas and fun things, you <laughs> still probably quote that movie and you don't even realize it. So you say things like "Fragile," that's from that movie. I can't put my arms down. Also from that movie. <laughs> Um, or fudge. Uh, so there's a million like fun, quotable things that come out of that. And, and Gene Shepard himself actually appears in the film. Oh, does he? If you remember the scene where Ralphie and his brother, 
are waiting to go see Santa. Yep. He stands in line, and the guy goes, hey, kid, the line starts here. Oh, it I, ends I, over there. That's yep. Gene Shepard, that oh, guy, right. yeah. Apparently, yep. whenever they're standing in line and that, like, spazzy kid there is like, I like the Tin Man. <laughs> I like the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> uh, apparently, that kid's kind of, like, really like that. And Peter Billingsley and the actor that played his brother were, like, getting really kind of weird and creeped out by him because this kid was just this, like, kind of freak. Oh, that's funny. That's great. I wonder where he is now. I know our friend Flick from the movie does, like, well, not does. He did. Um, He was directing uh, X-rated movies for a little while and actually starred in one or two of them. Yep. The other guy there, Scott Farkas, the bully, he is all over Cameo, and apparently he is the nicest guy you'll ever meet. He was the brother on the show Titus. I don't know if you remember that show. Yeah. It only ran for one season. It was yeah, like it with Chris, it was Chris Titus was the is the comedian that the show was based on his life, and his brother was that guy, the guy that played Scott Farkas. Oh, awesome! Yeah, I heard I had nothing but great things about him. All right, moving on to the nineteenth. All right, uh, November nineteenth, nineteen eighty. Back to television. Uh, CBS TV bans an ad produced for Calvin Klein featuring a very young Brooke Shields uttering. You want to know what comes between me and my Calvins? Nothing. Which I guess in and of itself in a static ad is fine. But the video of that commercial is out on YouTube and you can watch it. And it is very suggestive. Very suggestive seeing that she was like, what, 15? All of 15 years old at the time? All of 15 years old, yeah, if even that old. And I mean, and this is the nineteen. This is nineteen eighty. We're still super conservative America at this. You can't. You can't do that. You know. I mean, even now in two thousand twenty-one, you can't do that. But nineteen eighty was right. way worse. Um, and it's weird that that's like that comes out of the that comes like out of the advertising style from like the late nineteen seventies. Just to tie in that like to sort of the imagery of disco and other stuff. It just it's really really weird. There you was know. a lot of uh, sex sells back then, like uh, with Farrah Fawcett with the shaving cream. Remember that? Take it yeah, off. Yeah. Take it all Take off. It all yeah, off. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but Farrah Fawcett also wasn't like 15. No, so no, no, like, certainly not. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, going up further, like there's a lot of, I guess, there's always going to be sex in advertisement. But like they had one that they were uh, advertising a product called Purple Muscle. Come on. You, 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 does nobody work in your R and you know their your research department? Purple Muscle. Nobody laughed at the meeting, and then you didn't say, "Oh, what are you laughing at?" Um, right. No, that's. What, I mean, I've watched Mad Men, so I think those guys were all drunk all the time yeah. anyway. Oh, I can't remember the name of the cell phone company, but there was like a guy who was like, "It's forty dollars, period." And then later in the commercial, with a straight face, mind you, he goes, "That's the power of the period." Yes. Nobody uh. stopped you. And then, like, the next, like, the sequel commercial where he's still talking about people's periods, I guess. He's wearing, like, a purple helmet. Come on, dude! <laughs> it's not just me, right? I'm not the one that's just... No, it's not. It's not. It's, it's, it, it may only be you. No, it's not just you. Um, I will say this, though. Like, here's the double-edged sword of this kind of advertising. CBS says, we can't air this ad. It's not appropriate. NBC's like... Okay. Well, the price to air this ad has just gone up a little bit. And ABC goes, yeah, oh, they're going to charge you that much? We're going to double it. Uh-huh. Right? And then everybody's like, you know what? Those Calvin Klein jeans are the shit. I'm going to get me some of them. So Calvin Klein's like, see? I don't care if you advertise with, with them or not. Mm-hmm. 
it still generates press either way that's going to drive sales of their silly French jeans. Yeah, and Brooke Shields was like hot topic at that time. You know, it was like yeah. she did that movie with George Burns there, yeah. Just You and Me Kid, I think it was called. Right. Yep. And then not long after that was The Blue Lagoon, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and, yep. And now it's she's true. going to be on Celebrity Boxing with Tom Cruise. <laughs> All right. Moving on to the 20th, November the 20th, 1983, ABC's Movie of the Week showed the feel-good hit of the summer, The Day After, which was a TV drama about nuclear war. Yeah. 1983 was kind of like, that was the third act of the Cold War. That's where the climax of, you know, it was either going to end or we were all going to die. And the good, you know, the smart money was we're all going to die. Horrifically, it's twenty years after the uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis too. So there's an there's an anniversary in there. Yep, which is as close as we got to nuclear annihilation. Right, like they warming up the planes. Like they had pilots and seats for that in '63. So I remember when this came out and it aired. They had a panel discussion at the end of it with all these like nuclear physicists and climate scientists and other terrifying people who said like, "Oh yeah, everything you saw in the movie, <laughs> it's not going to be as good as that." <laughs> Oh, thank you. And it was like an all-star affair. So Jason Robards was in it. Oh, yeah, that was Steve Gutenberg's um, finest work, if you ask me. But there are a ton of, like, character actors and stuff. It was a really well-done, frightening film to sort of scared straight people out of, <laughs> you know, encouraging atomic war with the, with the Soviets. And it also, like, looked at what you'd have to do to survive in the aftermath of that, especially when the government kind of collapses around whatever your disaster zone is, sort of setting the stage for... People have gone back and watched that and like looked at footage from like Hurricane Katrina and different tornadoes and other things to to as comparisons. I've I've read them online and about how how much the breakdown of communication infrastructure aid and all that stuff was compared to in real life. And it it shows that more resources should be put into those kind of agencies like FEMA and, and other disaster specific uh, groups. But man, I remember eighty three. I watched this movie and it scared the ever loving blue eyed crap out of me. Now. I'm having like a false memory because my memory wants to tell me that I watched this in grade school or in junior high, but it's 83. So I was already in high school and I remember watching it in school and like thinking it was maybe a little bit afterwards because I missed it was when it was on TV. Everybody was talking about it. Did you see it? Did you see it? Did you see it? And I was like, no, I was probably watching wrestling. But anyway, I got to see it in school and... You know, I'm pretty articulate as a kid. I wasn't as articulate as I am now. But even as like a 14-year-old kid, I'm thinking to myself, what kind of psychopath shows this to teenagers? What, like, <laughs> seriously, what are, you, what are you trying to do to us? Like, right. I'm 14. What am I going to do? You want me to call right. up Gorby and see what I can do? Uh, <laughs> See what I can negotiate. <laughs> I think in '83 it was still Konstantin Trienko, but yes, yeah. Who like what are we what are we gonna do? It's to, it's to build awareness for the future, I think. So that if our parents didn't cause nuclear annihilation, maybe we would be better at preventing it altogether. You know? I don't know. I I, I think we would have been better off with a sex ed class, personally. <laughs> uh, All right. So moving on to the 21st, wrapping up the week. What do we got? Uh, okay, uh, November 21st, 1931, speaking of horror films, James Whale's Frankenstein is released, starring Boris Karloff, based on, you know, the Mary Shelley novel from 1818, uh, Frankenstein or the Modern Prometheus, and ultimately set the standard for Frankenstein's monster to be shown in film for, like, more than 50 years, until De Niro was in the Frankenstein, directed by Kenneth Branagh. That's pretty, pretty much. yeah, that's pretty forgettable, though. 
No, I'm just saying that like that Jack Pierce style of makeup, yeah. the expectation that the monster would look kind of the way that Karloff looked in, in Jack Pierce's makeup, uh-huh. that influenced Hammer. It influenced all of the oh, Frankensteins I, that I came see after. What you're yeah. Okay. Right up through the monsters, even yep. and, and all right. That's the look of Frankenstein. Everybody, yes, that's what I mean. Yeah, further Frankenstein's all looked like that, right? Even Frankenberry. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and uh, who sounds like Karloff? Eat my berries. Yeah. Eat my berries. Until uh, that uh, that other movie there, I Frankenstein. Remember that that came out? <laughs> I saw that in the movies with Ian. Did you? That movie was terrible. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. We were laughing because it was not a good movie. Was that you that said that to me? I go, hey, how was it? And you said, I disappointed. (laughs) I disappointed. I disappointed. (laughs) It was not a good movie. It was not, not, not a good movie. You know what that movie was? It was was exactly like Underworld. Yeah. Exactly that same movie. Instead of vampires fighting werewolves, it's Frankenstein monster fighting gargoyles. It's the same goddamn movie. Frankenstein with a gun. And I felt bad for uh, Aaron Eckhart, who's in that, who looks like he'd rather literally be anywhere else <laughs> on planet Earth. Oh, you want me to make a movie in the middle of Somalia? I'm there. Just get me to hell off this set. What am I going to do? <laughs> what do I have to do? Okay. Uh, porn with a bunch of porcupines? Put me in it. I don't care. You know. Dean Koontz uh, did a, a modern update of the Frankenstein myth, and they made like a, like a TV movie out of it that was kind of going to be like a pilot. That there was going to be like a monster of the week kind of a show, but it never got anywhere. But I read the book of Dean Koontz's Frankenstein. And oh. It was yeah, it was a pretty cool update to the story. I had a great comic version that was illustrated by Bernie Wrightson, mm-hmm. who was one of my favorite comics. That was beautiful and glorious. The only other Frankenstein like look and feel that sort of last. It seems to have lasted as long, but not in the same way. The, the James Whale directed, you know, Jack Pierce makeup for Frankenstein and Karloff was Charlie Ogle in the 1910 Edison Frankenstein. <laughs> Because if you look at Eddie Money from about 1990 <laughs> until just before he died, that's him. He's the same yeah. dude as Charlie Ogle. He does. He, lo- he looks like Eddie Money in the Shaken video for sure. Yeah. Two tickets to paradise. <laughs> so, yeah. And not only that, that movie holds up today. It's beautifully paced. It's well-written. It's scary as all get out. It gets into the core elements of the book without losing itself in the details. I I love it. It's one of my all-time favorites. My parents were well into their 40s when I was born. So my parents and their uh, siblings, you know, there's a a double generation skip in there. So I remember my Aunt Eva, which is my father's older sister, telling me that she saw Frankenstein in the theater and was scared out of her freaking mind. And I was like, that movie's not really scary. She goes... It was to an eight-year-old girl. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. She goes, and especially since horror hadn't really been done on screen, you know, too much at right. that point. It's still, still a pretty, you know, rel- yeah, a relatively new genre. Still a new genre. Yeah, definitely. They're still breaking ground in how horror films were presented. Right. And I mean, even that, that was the first film that I know of that had censorship imposed on it by the studio that like made specific cuts to the story. There's a scene in there where Frankenstein throws a little girl out in the water and she drowns. That's hilarious. Well, the, well, the monster does. Sorry, not Frankenstein. That Colin Clive. And they were like, nope, you can't. You can't. That can't be in there. You know? And out it came. Right. Only to be restored, you know. Years later, 50 yeah. 50 years later, yeah. And uh, and Frankenstein is also arguably, you know, you don't have to counterpoint this, but arguably one of the few movies where the sequel is better than the original. I agree. Bride of Frankenstein is beautiful from top to bottom. Yeah, and Bride of Frankenstein is the rare sequel that takes the core material and expands on it in a way that isn't ridiculous. Right. Same director, same writer, too. 
All right, moving on to the celebrity birthdays. All right. All right, November the 15th, 1951, the very beautiful and curvaceous Beverly D'Angelo. Or as I like to remember her from European Vacation, the wet hot wife. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Beverly D'Angelo, best known as being... Ellen Griswold and the vacation movies. She she also suffered like one of the weird Simpsons curses in that her character, Lurleen Lumpkin, uh, that she voiced, I think, twice, like didn't appear anymore after that. And her career in film sort of dropped off after she had voiced Lurleen. And there's a couple of different actors that that had happened to over the course of the first the Simpsons' first 10 years or so. There's a Simpsons curse? I didn't know that. There's a Simpsons curse, yeah. And I think she's considered the very first one. Oh, um, wow. The first one of the curses, yeah. Yeah, you know she what? Was... You know what? I noticed the Ramones haven't put out any new albums in a while. <laughs> She's the one who sang the song to Homer, like, bunk with me tonight, and he didn't understand <laughs> what it meant. <laughs> I walked by her uh, with one of my friends. She was at one of the Comic-Cons doing... Uh, you know, autographs and stuff like that. And, you know, she's kind of been out of the public eye for a, a, a long time. Right. And she's absolutely stunning in the uh, in the vacation movies. We walked by her and my friend was like, boy, she got old. I was like, yeah, of course she did. She's like 70, man. <laughs> what do you think? Yeah. There wasn't a lot of cat calls from my grandmother walking down the street at 70. I can tell you that. Ooh, yeah. Hey, Yvette. Yeah. Stop it. <laughs> oh, you masher. All right. She's uh, going to hit you with her cane. Stop yeah. it. All right, moving on to the 16th. November 16th, 1945, character actor Steve Railsback. You may not recognize his name, but you'll definitely, <laughs> definitely recognize his face if you've seen Helter Skelter, the TV movie produced in the 1970s about the Charles Manson uh, family and the, the uh-huh. Tate LaBianca murders. And he was also in a film that played approximately seven trillion times on the early movie channels in the early years of cable TV called The Stuntman. Wow. With um, Peter O'Toole. And he also played Ed Gein Gain. <laughs> Pick how you want to say his last name. Uh, the, the cannibal murderer of Wisconsin. Right? As, Wisconsin. As you're saying who he is, I'm like <laughs> kicking myself in the head because I've met him. Oh, he was in Life Force too. So. Yeah. I met, uh, I met this guy. He, um, I had just seen the Ed Gain movie. And it's fantastic. It had a, uh, another title, like Under the Blood Red Moon or something like that. Yeah, something like that. I met him at one of the very first Rockin' Shocks, and I was talking to him about how good he was in uh, uh, playing at, at, you know, Ed Gain in that movie. And then he told me he also played Charles Manson in the Helter Skelter movie. And I told him, I was like, dude, you got to get a better agent. You're only playing serial killers left and right over right. here. So, right? Jeez. Yeah. All right, uh, moving on to the 17th, a very important man in my life. (laughs) November the 17th, 1906, Seichiro Honda, uh, who was the inventor of the Honda motorcycles and automobiles. More importantly, the Honda Civic. More importantly, the gray Honda Civic, of which I have had many. (laughs) You have indeed. Yep. Every time I see a gray Honda Civic, I assume that you're just driving it. That's Sometimes it. I see two or three in the same trip back and forth to work, and yes. I always assume it's you. Yes. I have had four Honda Civics in my life, two of which have been gray, and one was white and the other was green. But, yes, I do I do like me my Honda Civics. All right. November 18th, 1968, the voice of Lightning McQueen, uh, Owen Wilson, also uh, wow. star of... Yeah, wow. Star of a bunch of... Uh, one of those artsy fartsy movies. Uh, <laughs> uh, I can't remember the names of them. He's also in uh, 
that Marvel show now. The hell's it called? I don't know. You got a lot of questions here. I do have a lot of questions. I don't know. Owen Wilson, everybody. Is it those artsy fartsy movies like Shanghai Noon? Shanghai Noon with Jackie Chan. With our good friend uh, Jackie Chan. I always wanted, instead of that movie being called Shanghai Noon, they really should have called it How the West Just Won. (laughs) <laughs> that well, then they couldn't have done the sequel, which was Shanghai Nights, when he and Jackie Chan went to England. I saw those both in the movies, by the way. A little too highbrow for me. And uh, and I liked Owen Wilson a lot in The Wedding Crashes. That's, uh... Yeah, that was a funny movie. All right, moving on to the 19th. November the 19th, 1962. Oh, wow. This kind of fits in with the whole Brooke Shields thing. She's inspiring. I'll uh, tell you that. Jodie Foster. Unbelievably great actress, uh, our, our friend Jodie Foster, best known for Silence of the Lambs as uh, Clarice Starling. Mm-hmm. When the script was presented for Hannibal for her to reprise her role, she said, hell no, this script is stupid and I don't blame her. That movie was <laughs> terrible. Yes. Yes, it was. It, well, not as bad as the book, though. The book was somehow worse. Uh, amazing. But she got her start. Uh, she was in... Well, actually, her very first role was being the Coppertone baby. Oh, well, there you go. Yep. The the famous ad of the Coppertone, like it's a, like a little girl getting her pants pulled down, showing a tan line by a little dog. Yeah, that's Jodie Foster. Jodie Foster was the model for that for that uh, yeah. that cartoon. Yeah. And then uh, a couple of years later, she went on to play a teenage prostitute in Taxi Driver. Inspiring. Inspiring. Yep. <laughs> Jodie Foster's had a, a unbelievable amazing body of work yeah she's def- she's been in a, a ton of stuff and still in stuff and a lot so. of very varied roles it's not like she always plays the same thing right yeah no she's done some science fiction she's done some high drama she's done some period pieces she's done was she, wasn't she in the bad news bears as a kid too yes was actually was yeah, she was, yeah. Right? that's her yeah. she was the pitcher that that was going to get the french jeans for playing for yeah, the- boilermakers team uh, November 20th, 1959, teenage crush for me because of her role in Dune and ultimately in Blade Runner before that, John Young. For a while in the 80s, she was on her way to super fame stardom and made a lot of really good films. Mm-hmm. And then kind of faded more into the background because she didn't get a role in Batman Returns. And then because of how she tried to get a role in Batman Returns, people were like, we don't want to work with you. Yeah, yeah she's kind of got herself a weird reputation. She was great in Ace Ventura as the... Uh, Einhorn! As Einhorn, yeah. Pickle is Einhorn! Yeah. I mean, yeah. problematic in 2021, but funny as hell in 1990. Yeah. And a, and a beautiful woman. She was... Uh, yes. She's definitely a good actress. And and they reprised her in CGI in the, uh, the sequel to Blade Runner, in Blade Runner 2042. Oh, did they? That's cool. Yeah, they did. And she came out kind of well i mean de-aged version of her came out in the same clothing that she had on in blade runner and was presented to harrison ford and he's like you got the eye color wrong <laughs> which is kind of a good line she was she's she's always been one of my favorites and one of the highlights i think of of blade runner to play as well as she did with the super duper kind of i don't want to say it was over the top but it was super methody um, style that Harrison Ford brought to that role. Yeah. Now, I don't think as many actresses could have like hung with him the way that she did, and she was great. Wrapping up the birthdays on November 21st, 1694, French author and philosopher Francois Voltaire. Hey, all right. Yep. Not Voltron, Voltaire. Um, <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Very famous quote, which is usually attributed to other people, but Voltaire is the one who had said, I disapprove of what you say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it. 
And he's also quoted for saying, those who can make you believe absurdities can make you commit atrocities. Which brings us back to our story about the car blowing up. Right. Yep. Exactly. And I'm sure that whoever the producer of that segment was at Dateline NBC went on to commit genocide in another country. <laughs> oh, my God. Do you remember the theme song to Dateline NBC? No, but I remembered it to Voltron. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I only have so much space in my head for those, yeah. and Voltron apparently is more important. No, because it was... The worst song ever. All right, Jeff, what have we got loaded up in the cannon this week for the worst song ever? All right, man, I got a cannon full of syrupy, smarmy, smarmy, syrupy, syrupy, smarm for you this week. I'm going to take you back, Bill. I'm going to take you back in time to the halcyon year of 2003. Well, it's not that long. I was just about to say, that's not that long ago, but it is. It's almost 20 years. That's a a long time, right? If somebody owed me money for that long, I'd be right pissed. I'm taking you back to 2003, where the last gasps of popular radio were playing music like I'm going to talk about right now. Okay. This doesn't get played anymore. Can't even find it unless you go look for it. And it's it's a song called You're Beautiful by James Blunt. What do you mean you can't find They don't play that anymore? You know why? We're out all the vinyl. There's nothing left to play. And I will say that back in 2003, you pretty much were getting fire hosed down with this song for five <laughs> months. No matter where you went, it was on every station from WFNX to Fun 107. That makes no sense to anybody, but okay. <laughs> Yeah, well, okay, WFNX was the alternative station in Boston, and Fun 107 sounds like its name. Yeah. It's the pop-pop station in, in, in southeastern New England. Right. Or Kiss 108, another pop station, right? But you'd hear this song, it would cross genres. Yep. And it was in heavy rotation on all of these stations because, one, it was almost like a love song, and I'll get back to that. Two, it was an English guy with a guitar and a piano, which, as we all know, is music for 24 to 35-year-old people at this point in most people's lives. And three, he had a video on VH1 that they just looped. It was like a freaking Christmas story. <laughs> so it was just this video on over and over again. All right, before and, we uh, before we get yes. into the bio of our good friend Jay's Blunt over here, we're going to play the, the syrup-laden clip. This is You're Beautiful. You're Beautiful. I'm sure she smiled at me on the subway. She was with another man. I won't lose no sleep on that Cause I've got a plan You're beautiful You're beautiful You're beautiful It's true I saw your face see, In a crowd See now this, this is the genre That like I, I, I like a lot of different styles of music But Wigwag is not my bag of dope at all. Uh, And also, I love that term, wigwag. It stands for white guy with a guitar. Oh, okay. (laughs) I never heard that before, and I was like, I don't know what that means, but all right, I'm on board. Yeah, wigwag, white guy with a guitar. When I was reading up about this song, they said that James Blunt went out on tour with Jason Mraz, and I I was just thinking I would rather be anywhere else on the planet than that (laughs) concert. (laughs) So hey, I'm gonna, hey, Billy, I'm gonna, you want to go to the filming location of the <laughs> of the day after? Uh, yeah, right, sure, right, whatever. Yes, it is. I'm on. I got tickets to James Blunt and Jason. Mar- I like, yeah, I'm already in the car. <laughs> Where are they playing? Uh, They're playing in Kansas. <laughs> oh my god! Somebody turn the keys. Turn the keys in the silos. Um, 
No, I'm gonna let you in on a confession. Okay, Bill. I don't generally do use the show for confessions, but I'm gonna let you in. I'm gonna confess to the audience, uh-huh. like. The album that this appears on is called Back to Bedlam. It's James Blunt's first album. And I paid cash money for this CD, and I still have it. Okay. And I can post a photo of me holding this CD in our show notes (laughs) if you guys want to see it. Because at the time, even though I had been firehosed down with this song a thousand times a day for a hundred days, I still liked it. Uh I still actually like this kind of music. I like David Gray. I like this. I like... I don't know, not train, but other stuff. Um, other wigwag stuff, yeah. I went back to listen to this. First of all, I was like, where the hell has this sound been? It's not, it doesn't get played. I listen to enough FM radio at work mm-hmm. and driving around when I'm not getting good satellite service because of trees and stuff that I listen to sort of pop and adult contemporary format stations, even regular pop stations. And this song hasn't come up in, in my playlist that I can remember in years like a, more than a dozen years. So when I went back and I found this song, I was like, oh my God, I remember th- how cloying this song is. And I listened to it and I was like, ah, it's, it's just, uh, this song kind of sucks, but the rest of the album is really great. Then I went back to my... It's wiggy. It's waggy. And I went back to my iTunes library and I'm like, I'm sure I ripped this CD. And then I only ripped one song. What song did I rip? This one. Huh? You're beautiful. But in listening to the CD in preparation for this show, all of his songs have the same characteristic. And this is the characteristic for, for Wigwag. And all right, so come with me in this cinematic journey, Bill. Go ahead. Okay, so we fade to the we're, in the, we're about to transition to the third act of a romantic comedy. On the screen, you see a forlorn looking Matthew McConaughey staring at his flip phone. He's deciding whether or not he's going to present the, the necessary funds to turn the local zoo into a series of Power Rangers themed strip clubs and put everybody out of business. And he's doing he's deciding not to do it because of the relationship that he has with Lily Sobieski, who's the veterinarian at that zoo, who the night before, again, we fade to her now, and she's sitting staring forlornly out the window with a big glass of Chardonnay next to her. She revealed to him last night that she's been having a long-standing, passionate affair with a Galapagos tortoise. <laughs> And they have to figure out if they're going to be able to save their relationship. All of his music How do we make this is work? the montage music for that. That's the, his. This album is the one that's playing in the background. Just fading back and forth between happens. Michael McConaughey, whoever that girl is you just said, and a tortoise. Just like this three-way fade. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And that's and, and it's like the song Wise Man, and it's the song Goodbye to Your Love, and other things. All those songs are the ones that could play in the background for that soft-focused switch between those three characters. And then the zoo front, and then finally Matthew McConaughey saying, I'm not going to burn down the zoo for no strippers and that's the end of the movie so, so. The, the funny bit about this song is like i started an interview uh, you know preparing for the show i was watching an interview with uh mr blunt and he was like you know you americans picked up on this song like it was like this like really heartfelt love song he goes did you bother to like listen to the lyrics there's a guy on a train who's high out of his mind and he's right. staring at this girl with a boyfriend and he can't stop staring at her that's not romantic this guy's a stalker what's wrong with you people <laughs> right right and it reminds me of there's a song on Weird Al's is Weird Al's record even worse and he's got a song it's, a, it's called Melanie yes Right, where Melanie, he's like, I carved my name into your cat, and he keeps stalking this woman across the hallway. That's, oh my God, that's this song. (laughs) (laughs) Only it's not at all funny. It's like, it's played completely straight and not ironic at all. And the song lyrically kind of sucks, 
but it still isn't a I don't think it's a terrible song. It's just it's just a weird one that it was super duper popular for a really short time and then Blunt never charted again in the states. No. His follow-up single Wise Man hit like number 39 and dropped off the top 40 and the subsequent four or five records you've done I don't even think the last two were released here. He's got a, a real great sense of humor too because in one of his follow-up singles called Love Me Better he actually references the song You're Beautiful. He says, I tell you you're beautiful, but you've probably heard that line before. <laughs> yeah, not a horrible song. It's like I said, it's not my it's not my genre. I don't like wigwag stuff like this too much. It's not a horrible song. It's just that it was overplayed, oversaturated. They played it in one day probably about as many times as there are dimples in a golf ball, Jeff. Oh, Shinola. Yeah. I knew we were coming back My to this. trivia question at the beginning of the show was, how many dimples are there in a golf ball? 120. I, see, I got sick and tired of you being like like knowing the answers to the questions. So I was like, no one's going to guess this unless they're a golf enthusiasts. Yeah. Well, how, how many? 120. 120? 120. You are off by a magnitude. There are 336 dimples on a golf ball. Well, damn. And the reason those dimples are there is it actually makes the golf ball more aerodynamic. And it Hey, I thought I was going to get a shot at the bonus well, question tough, I knew that answer. Well, tough titty. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. No bonus points for you. And I already forgot how many dimples are on there, so you could technically use this <laughs> trivia question next week, Bill. I might. All right. Well, that's going to wrap up the show for this week. We will see you back here in just about seven days. All right. Say goodnight, Jeff. Hey, good night, Jeff. Bye, guys. Bye, everybody. A special thanks to James Costa for our theme music. Find us or message us on Facebook or Instagram at Twibly or T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. Subscribe if you haven't already and tell your friends. And better yet, throw us a ranking over at the Apple Podcast app. A five-star ranking.